Hello and welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren and I'm here with Faith. Hi. Pastor Faith. And we will get to the sermon in just a little bit, but we wanted to make some time and space to talk about something special that we've been having on Sundays. And it's a new song that Pastor Faith, you and your husband, Josh, wrote, and we've shared it with our community. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? Yeah. And where did it come from? Yeah, so it's called We Need You. Um, and I, I'm going to root this in 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, the, the first thing that was written for this song was the beginning of that bridge section that says, We don't need better plans. We don't need clever thoughts. We need your Spirit, O oh God. We don't want the wisdom of man. We want we want a display of God's power, which is really what the world needs. They don't need to see a show, or even in the area of worship, they don't need to hear good music. We need to see a display of the power of God. So it came from that heart cry. And then the beginning of the song kind of sets up this space where we invite Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear out all the distractions, the things that get in the way and then just simply cry out for more of Him. And it's this this longing to be a, a space where the Spirit would rest mm-hmm. as a community. Yeah, I love that. That's such a the heart and core value of Garden Church. Exactly. Knowing that the Spirit is present, like He's welcome to the party and we get to celebrate. And I so appreciate the beauty and creativity that you've been cultivating, not only with worship, but just something that we can invite the rest of our community into. And, and it's so cool when, when uh, in the recording of this song, it's the first time that we shared it. And it's like people have been singing it for weeks. <laughs> and it was just such a cool thing to experience. And so we're so happy for those of you that have experienced that with us on a Sunday morning. And we want to see just more original songs being birthed from this place um, that you're talking about, just being saturated in the Holy Spirit. So we are welcoming you to stick around after the sermon where you can hear a live recording of the song, We Need You, and I hope it blesses your heart. Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. I'm excited to get right back into our Real Jesus series. And over the last several weeks, months, we've been talking about the life, the message, and mission of Jesus Christ and looking at in the scriptures as well as the historical context um, what his life, message, and mission means for us here and now. I believe that his life, message, and mission should shape the way we live and interact with this world, the way we interact with each other. Um, So we've talked about his message. We've talked about some parables and stories, and we're going to move into some observations about his life. It's important for us to see that the way Jesus lived has implications for how we ought to live today. And so... Today, um, as I was preparing this week, this morning, uh, I realized I had way too much content for one sermon. And rather than trying to cram it all in, which is what I'll normally do, I'm going to just do two parts. So part one is how to pray like Jesus, part one. So we're going to look at Jesus. In the scriptures, uh, it it, it has so many observations and statements about Jesus praying So Jesus' life is marked by prayer. You could say that he was a man of prayer. And some of you are here, you're already checking out. 
And I get it, because why, why, you know, a pastor's talking about prayer. Um, but I wanna, I wanna look at the nature of prayer this morning, and I think it might open up some new possibility for some of you on how to interact with God and how to engage in this world um, based on some very familiar teachings of Jesus on prayer. But then we'll really pick it up next week and look at the implications if we have this type of relationship with God, if we, we look at uh, what prayer really is and start actually practicing it, what could happen? How do we have answered prayer? So let me just say the goal. The goal is this, that you become the kind of person that can ask for whatever you want and it will be given to you. That's the goal. Do you know this? The goal is for you as a follower of Jesus to be shaped, to become the kind of person that could ask for anything and it will be granted through the power of the Spirit. So with that as the aim, how do we get there, right? Because lots of my prayers are not answered. <laughs> I mean, I was praying last night, you know what I'm saying, for about $900 million. I think everyone was praying. <laughs> and that's the problem. We all prayed the same prayer, <laughs> but nobody got it. Um, so, and if you missed it, there's largest lottery ticket. I didn't actually buy a ticket, but, and I didn't actually pray that prayer. So, um, so that was a joke, and you laughed. Good work. Okay, so let's jump in. Luke chapter five. I'm gonna make some observations and we're just gonna talk about the nature of prayer for about half an hour. Here we go. Luke chapter five says this, verse 15. The, uh, the words will be on the screen if you don't have a Bible. Um, if, you ha- if you need a Bible, there's some Bibles around the crosses around the room. It says, yet the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So in Luke 15, here's a quick snapshot, and it's so important to know context because Jesus just had some serious success in his ministry. Um, In John's account for Jesus feeding 5,000 men, not including women and children, they want to make him king. And so this is what happens in Luke is he has all this success. People are coming, they're hearing about, hearing about him and they're literally wanting, they're coming to be healed but they wanna make him king. And what Jesus decides to do when he's experiencing the highs of ministry and the success of life is he pulls away from people to be alone in prayer with God. Does that say anything about how we ought to interact? in our relationships with people and success in ministry. So he experiences success and he spends some time in prayer alone. Luke chapter six, another observation about what, how Jesus prays. One of, the day, one of those days, verse 12, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. So here's another picture of Jesus. He has a really important life decision to make. It's one of those moments where he needs to decide where his energy, his resources, and his life is going to go for the next duration of his ministry. For the, for the next three years, Jesus is going to disciple 12 guys. And he goes at night to a mountainside by himself to pray and he prays the entire night for discernment, for wisdom, to to listen to God's voice so that he can decide who his apostles were. Do you think he just knew? It says in John chapter five, the son can do nothing on his own. I can only do what I see the father doing. Jesus's ministry is marked by doing what the father in heaven was doing. 
And you can't just say, oh, he, you know, he was God, so he already knew. That's not what the scriptures teach. He was God, he is God, he was also fully human. He had to learn to be obedient to what God was doing, and so he needed to discern. Anyone here, pray a prayer asking for guidance from God. Okay, okay, we're in good company. Anyone here, and here's a question, Anyone here go to, to, this, uh, go to prayer or go, go to God when they're in season of trial and tribulation? What, isn't that when your prayer life increases? Does it increase when you have lots of success and everything's going well? Usually you walk away, is, it not, is that not true? But Jesus says, something about Jesus is that no matter where he is, he's constantly going back. He's constantly realigning himself. So what does that say about what prayer really is? Most of us approach prayer as a vending machine, right? Just throw some, throw some prayers out there, put some quarters up in that machine, push the button, hopefully God will drop down the toy that I want or whatever it is, the Apple product today or, you know, or the, the $900 million lotto ticket. <clears throat> we, we approach God like the pagans did. Anyways, that's, we can talk, we can, that's off subject. I don't want to call you a pagan, but anyways, <laughs> I just did. Luke 22. <laughs> Luke 22. This is a fun Sunday. I'm having a really good time. I'm in danger because I'm speaking at starting line, and if it's going like this now, starting line is going to be crazy. Okay, Luke 22, probably one of the hardest passages for me to read as a follower of Jesus. It's quite terrifying, actually. Um, And it's not scary in the sense that it's like horrific, it, it's actually the implications are terrifying. And this really, this passage speaks to what Bill taught about last week. In Luke 22, verse 40, Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's about to die. He's about to be crucified. He's basically about to experience the most gruesome and painful death that was invented by humans. The Romans created the crucifixion as a way of prolonging someone's death in the most humiliating and painful way possible. It was kill them really, really slow so that they would die over a long period of time, okay? So Jesus is gonna experience that, and this is what happens. He calls his disciples and he says to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. And then it says an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. You see this picture that we get from Luke of a, of a human being praying with such intensity that he, he's, he sweats blood from his brow. I think what's, what's terrifying about this, this passage really is a couple of things. The first thing is that it reveals that Jesus didn't want to go to the cross. And think about this. He had a choice. And in scripture, his followers see that he was pleading, Father, if there is another way, take this cup. Remove this part of the ministry you're calling me to. But then it also reveals something else. Well, let me just make this point, actually, and then we'll do the next part. So he starts with, if you are willing, take this cup from me. What that also reveals is that Jesus prayed prayers that weren't answered. Anyone here pray a prayer that was not answered? And if you say last night, that doesn't count. (laughs) You're in good company. The Son of God 
Jesus Christ prayed prayers that were not answered. But look at the second part, and this is really what I wanna focus on because this um, illuminated for me what I think prayer is really about. Not my will, but your will be done. Not my will, but your will. Prayer is living in a way that is open to what God is doing. Prayer is not just about a conversation. It's not just requests made. Prayer is a way of living in a way that is open to what God is doing here and now and in your life. Are you with me? So based on this observation, I realized after all these texts, so he's, he's, he's got success and he spends time in prayer. He needs discernment and wisdom and he spends time in prayer. He wants to resist temptation. He spends time in prayer. He wants to see what the Father's doing, so he spends time in prayer. He, he's frustrated about where the direction of his ministry is going because it's gonna end with his death, brutal death. And he prays to God, take it away from me. But at the same time, all he's doing on this journey is living open to what God is doing. This is fundamental for us as Christians. We need to learn that if we want to engage in this world the way God intended us to, we have to live our lives in a posture of openness to what God is doing in and through our lives. Now, the implications then are this. First of all, if you believe um, that prayer is living open to what God is doing, then you believe that God is interested in the life that you have, okay? So that's fundamental. You, if you don't believe that God is interested in the choices that you make, then you're not serving the Christian God, okay? So you need to know that. The second thing is that if you live open to what God is doing, that means you are also closed to other ways of living. Or one way to say it is this. Um, it's like saying yes to what God's, God has and what God's doing in this world and saying no to all the other ways of living and existence that you can agree with. Are you with me? So the way I, I actually started reflecting about this concept before we talk about some very familiar text teaching, um, I actually was thinking about improv. I studied acting growing up. I went to college for it in the beginning and then I transferred majors and I, I was on a traveling improvisational team and, and I loved improv. You guys know what improv is? The last service didn't. You guys know? Okay, good. So improv, the best thing is you just show up, you don't have to rehearse, and then you, pr- you present, you know, you're given all sorts of situations. So it's like, all right, you're on a, you know, a, you're, you're hiking Mount Everest with a bunch of ferrets, and somehow you have to figure that out with a group of people, and, and one of you is blind, and one, you know, you, you start making these, these scenarios, and, and what's great about it is just, you just show up, and then you throw yourself fully in to the character or to the situation. And that's helpful for prayer, isn't it? Prayer, you could just show up and throw yourself in, whatever it is, okay? So that's just some improv wisdom for you. Um, But the most important um, rule of improv is to just say yes. The most important rule of improv is to say yes. So the best improv, improv um, improvisers, are those that will fully immerse themselves in a situation and say yes to, to the scene and what their partners or their fellow actors are suggesting. If, if I kept saying no, or let's say I jump into a scene, somebody's here, and they, they call me their husband, um, I'm their husband, and all of a sudden I, I say, no, I'm not your husband, I'm your cousin, and I try to, I try to change the scene based on the desires that I have, right? I, 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 block, I block the scene from moving forward. 
Okay, so the rule of improv is you just go with it. You just say yes, and you discover uh, new possibilities together. You kind of create a new scene, and you're just going with the flow. And the key is to quick always say yes. So prayer is in some ways saying yes to what God is doing and saying no to what the world will have you do. And let me just make one more point on this while I'm here. <clears throat> Sometimes a closed door is a yes to what God's doing and a no to what you thought you were supposed to do. And sometimes you just need to accept the no, the closed door, as a yes from God. And, and if the goal is to be the kind of person that can ask for anything and have the power to receive it. And what we'll learn next week is that your capacity to receive is based on your capacity to seek. So let that settle in for a minute. I'm preaching this morning. I can feel it right now. <laughs> yes. It was Charlotte's hug. I'm telling you, that was... That was beautiful. So um, I don't even know where I was, but if the goal is to become the kind of person that can ask for anything and, it be, it, and it be, have it be given to you, then, then you become the kind of person that makes the request that God would request if he was in your shoes. You become the kind of person that prays what Jesus would pray if he was in your shoes, not the other way around. You with me? Okay, so that's, that's where we're starting, and I'm 12 minutes in from the intro. Let's just look at this quick passage. I'm just going to break this down. So prayer is a way of living open to what God is doing. It's saying yes to what God is up to. And so um, then how, how do we remain open to what God is doing? How do, we, how do we live open then to what God is doing in the world in our lives? That's the question I want to answer because if you're with me on what prayer looks like based on those subjects, um, because there's all sorts of types of prayer, but if it's fundamentally living open to what God is doing, participating in that, let's, let's actually ask the question, then how do we do that? And to answer that, I want to look and just go verse by verse through a very familiar passage, the Lord's Prayer found in Luke chapter 11. So if you have a Bible, go to Luke 11. Um, Type it in your phone, turn there, or look at it on the screen. And it says um, in Luke 11 verse 1, this is the Lord's Prayer. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of, his, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. So what was common in the first century for any Jewish rabbi was to teach your disciple, if you were a rabbi, anything and everything about life. Okay, so what you need to know about being a disciple is that the disciples would follow the rabbis everywhere. They would there, were, there are stories of disciples following their rabbi into the restroom because they didn't want to miss anything. Uh, I mean, there's, like, that's how serious. So it was so common to, for a rabbi to teach a disciple their version of prayer. So this is a, a very rabbinic thing to do. Um, and so Jesus then gives this very familiar text. And most of us read this almost like a formula like a static prayer, like just repeat these, this over and over again and, and it will somehow have all this power. But it's not static, it's dynamic. It's, a, it's designed to be filled in with your own words. But here's, here's some teaching. And again, the frame is how do we live open to what God is doing? I think this is part of how we learn to do and pray like Jesus. Lord, um, teach us to pray. And this is what he says. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, 
Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. And then he goes on to give a series of parables, which we'll look at tomorrow, stories about prayer. But this is the Lord's Prayer, and it's quite familiar. It's a, a little bit different than Matthew chapter six. But let's just break this down and make some observations. The first thing is probably, of all the things he could teach us, the most revolutionary thing he could have done. He says, when you pray, pray Father. And the word in Aramaic was Abba, which is translated in the first century to Daddy, Dada, Dada. And it's the word that a child, it's the, probably the first word a child would say. And it's a word that a child would utter in innocence to identify their papa, their dada, their daddy. And so what, what's so revolutionary about this is this is not how you prayed to Yahweh, the name above all names, the God whose name you can't even utter the God who's been told in Hebrew t scriptures to not defile or misuse his name. The God who in Jewish tradition had all sorts of <clears throat> elaborate words associated to his name. The Jewish community in the first century knew how to pray and there were elaborate phrases. There were declarations of God's glory and majesty, the separation, his transcendence, his, his power, his majesty. And when Jesus teaches his followers to pray, they, he, pray he tells them to pray to your daddy to your papa, your Abba. If you were a pagan, like some of you I've already called, some of you are pagan, um, <laughs> you, you would pray to the, name, the countless gods that you serve, and you would call them out by name, and then you would list their resume of all the attributes and goodness. You would have to make sure that you presented it well so that maybe they could hear your prayers, like a drop in a bucket, and then maybe it would be answered. But when Jesus talks to his followers, he says, look, when you come to, come to pray, you, you pray to daddy. So prayer is fundamentally about a relationship, an intimate relationship that you have with the heavenly father. You are all invited into having an ongoing loving relationship with the perfect father. And you are invited to call him daddy. How revolutionary is this? Now, I wanna talk about this for a second <clears throat> because I believe this is really hard for so many of us to experience. It's hard for us to have a relationship with God because some of us have had horrible relationships with our earthly fathers and mothers. And those painful relationships have hindered our relationships with God. We project our image of our father onto God, do we not? We talked about this when we started the series. I talked about the distorted views of God that Jesus comes to heal our image of God. And this is so important for next week because when we start talking about how do we ask for things in prayer, how do we learn to become people of power that things get done when we actually say and pray prayers? Well, it's gonna begin with you accepting this dynamic relationship that you have a perfect loving relationship with a father who becomes your daddy. And if you learn to receive your belovedness and live out of that identity, identity anything is possible. Have an ongoing loving relationship with the Father. And, and there's a story, and I don't know if it went over well or not, because last service, they were just dead quiet. You guys are 10 times better than them. <laughs> and so I'm just gonna read this story. I think it's worth a read, um, because I wanna invite some of you to this practice. How do you engage? I wanna help you engage in prayer life. How do you engage in an intimate relationship when you don't even know how to have healthy relationships now? 
How do you have a healthy relationship with a God who has revealed himself in, in history? And, and so here, here's one, one maybe way. It's from Brennan Manning's Abba Child. And if you haven't read that book, I highly recommend Abba's Child. It, I read it every year um, annually because I forget. <laughs> I forget the importance of just being um, a boy that's sitting on his daddy's lap and love for no good reason. And that's the invitation you have to learn how to be his beloved. So Brendan Manning writes this. He says, it's a story. It's a little long, so stay with me. He says, once I related the story of an old man dying of cancer. The old man's daughter had asked the local priest to come and pray with her father. When the priest arrived, he found the man lying in bed with, uh, with his head propped up on two pillows in an empty chair beside his bed. The priest assumed that the old fellow had been informed of his visit. I guess you were expecting me, he said. No, who are you? Uh, I'm the new associate at your parish, the, the priest replied. Uh, when I saw the empty chair, I figured you knew I was going to show up. Oh yeah, the chair, the old man said. Would you mind closing the door? <clears throat> Puzzled, the priest shut the door. I've never told anyone this. I haven't even told my daughter, said the man. But all my life, I've never known how to pray. At the Sunday math, mass, excuse me, I used to hear the pastor talk about prayer, but it always went right over my head. Finally, I said to him one day, in sheer frustration, I get nothing out of your sermons on prayer. Here, as I teach about prayer, here we go. Here, says my pastor, reaching into the bottom of his drawer of his desk, read this book by Hans Urs von Balthasar. He's a Swiss theologian. It's the best book on contemplative prayer in the 20th century. Well, father, says the old man, I took the book home and tried to read it, but in the first three pages, I had to look up 12 different words in the dictionary. I gave the book back to my pastor, thanked him, and under my breath, I whispered, thanks for nothing. I abandoned my, my attempt to pray. I abandoned any attempt to pray. And he continued, until one day, about four years ago, my, my best friend said to me, Joe, prayer is just a simple matter of having a conversation with Jesus. Here's what I suggest you do. Sit down on a chair, place an empty chair in front of you, and in faith, see Jesus in front of you on the chair. It's not spooky because he promised I'll be with you always. Then just speak to him and listen to him in the same way you're doing it with me right now. So, Padre, uh, Brendan Manning is so great. He's such a great writer, author. I tried it, and I've liked it so much that I do it for a couple of hours each day. I'm careful though, because if my daughter saw me talking to an empty chair, she'd either have a nervous breakdown or send me off to the funny farm. So the priest was so deeply moved by the story and encouraged the old guy to continue this journey of prayer. And then he prayed, for with, prayed with him, anointed him with oil, and returned to the, to the re rectory. Two nights later, the daughter called to, to tell the priest that her daddy had died that afternoon. Did he die in peace, he asked. Yes. When I left the house around two o'clock, he called me over to his bedside, told me, one of his corny jokes, and kissed me on the cheek. When I got home back from the store an hour later, I found him dead. But there was something strange, Father. In fact, beyond strange, kind of weird, actually. Apparently, just before my daddy died, he leaned over and rested his head on the chair beside the bed. Abba. Do you know Abba? Do you know this Abba? Do you have a prayer life like this 
where you can rest your head on a chair the moment you die and go into the next life because the invitation that Jesus has in this prayer, how do you remain open to what God is doing? It will require brutal honesty and intimacy with Abba. Abba. So I invite you to, to see and experience a God who is longing for you to know him as Abba, longing for you to be known as his beloved and receive that identity. But Jesus doesn't stop there. That's just the beginning, the first word. Make Abba's name holy. The second part is your kingdom come. And we read this in Matthew. It's where we get our vision as a church. In, uh, your will uh, be done. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So this implication here is that Jesus has been teaching for a while on the kingdom. We know that Jesus' primary message was that the kingdom of God is at hand, his rule, his power. God's way of life is available for everyone here and now. A life marked by peace and justice and wholeness and forgiveness of sins, of right relationship with other people and with God through the forgiveness of sins through Jesus on the cross. This kingdom reality is made available for everyone. And so when we pray, Jesus is essentially saying, you get to participate in the life that God has here now. Prayer is about extending God's way of life on earth through your life. Prayer is about extending God's way of life on earth through your life. So you are now participating in God's work here and now, every day you exist as a follower of Jesus. He invites you to have an intimate relationship with God and then learn to do the things that God would do as you pray. So you go around stomping into work, ushering in forgiveness, ushering in peace and justice and wholeness. When you see brokenness, you pray the kingdom. What does that look like? It looks like wholeness. When you see anxiety and fear, you pray the kingdom in. You bring peace. When you see death, you pray life. When you see sickness, you pray health. Are you with me? That's, that's not just, hey, let's say some prayers today. Put that, put that prayer on the list, you know? Can you put me on the prayer request list? You become the embodiment of answered prayers. When you, when you live in a way that's open to what God is doing, you extend his way of life on earth as it is in heaven. Now there's one more point on that. When Jesus prays on earth as it is in heaven, the assumption is there are places in this world and on earth that have yet to experience the reality of God's way of life. There are places that don't have peace. There are people that don't have food. There, there are people that don't have homes. There are things going on in the world like slavery, human trafficking, all sorts of injustices. You can look at your own life and see addiction, codependence. You can see broken relationship. You can see all sorts of identity issues. There are places in the world, places in your own life where the kingdom of God is not yet a reality. And so when we pray God's kingdom, we are praying reality into existence. Are you with me? This sermon is preaching itself this morning. Come on. <laughs> and then he says this. Mm. Give us each day our daily bread. I want to just highlight this. So remember the goal is to pray, the, to be pray for anything and have it be given to you. So when Jesus talks about daily bread, he's, not, he's, he's talking about re-identifying what your real needs are. Okay. So your needs matter to God. And I believe, you know, God wants you to flourish. I don't believe in the prosperity gospel at all. It's not biblical. 
Um, but I do believe God wants to bless you, wants to empower you to live. That, that journey of obedience could lead to your martyrdom. We know that for a fact. And it could also lead to success in the world. Um, the goal isn't success. The goal is obedience, right? Um, but daily bread implies something, um, I think that's more sociological. It's actually being connected to the needs that people have. Because in Jesus' day, Jesus' day, 90% of those living in um, Palestine, Israel at the time were below poverty. They were struggling f- to survive. They were, they were literally struggling for daily bread. And so he's say, bring your requests to God. Like, he already knows them and he'll teach about this. But we'll, we'll highlight this next week. But the, the important thing is to be connected to what daily needs are. Do you know that there are people in our church that are struggling to get by on a day-by-day basis? There are people obviously around the world, but we should be rooted. You know, I always say, do you know how much a gallon of milk costs? Do you know how much uh, a laundry facility costs? Do you know how much um, a motel for one night costs? If not, you should learn. Because guess what? If you actually do that and you live in authentic relationships with people that are in those places, you become the answer to their prayer daily bread and you extend the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. How cool is that? Okay, um, let's keep going. Two more and this one I love um, because of the, sign- the implications. It says, forgive us our sins as we also forgive those who sin against us. I grew up in a church that made me believe I wasn't necessarily really saved unless I tried really hard. So I always thought if I didn't confess the sin that I just sinned a couple minutes ago and I died, I would go to hell. Anyone else carry that assumption around? We can confess our bad theology. That's cool. <laughs> what, is, what is Jesus saying? I mean, Paul, when he writes to the church, um, he, he calls the church in Rome, the church in Philippi, the church in Ephesus, and all the other churches, he calls them holy ones, saints. And we made this point last year that there's not a biblical, um, uh, you don't have a, a biblical uh, argument to say that you're a sinner if you're saved in Jesus Christ. You're holy. Your sins have been, have been forgiven, past tense. On the cross, once and for all, you are seen now as holy. Your life is hidden in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, according to Colossians chapter three. I mean, you literally are a new creation. You're a sign of first fruits of what's to come. The Spirit is a deposit guarantee. I mean, it's amazing. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. You're more than a conqueror. Can I preach? Yes, and here's the point. Why would he say forgive us if we're already forgiven? Because we do sin and we keep on sinning. I'll tell you why. What are the, there are two primary issues that keep us from intimate relationship with God. Do you know what they are? It's not sin because that's been dealt with with Jesus on the cross. Guilt and shame. When you live with the feeling that you're not good enough and you have to hide who you really are, guilt and shame, then you don't actually have an authentic, vulnerable, honest relationship with the creator of the universe. And so when Jesus says, forgive us our sins, yes, it is a confession. We need to confess our sins to God and to other people, absolutely. But it's also the liberation of guilt and shame in your life, which keeps you from authenticity with God. 
And when you struggle to believe that there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, that there is nothing you can do to earn God's love, he believes that you're good enough as you are, he loves you as you are, that you are a saint, if you struggle to believe that you are beloved that has a papa in heaven who loves you perfectly well, then you will never fully engage in the world the way that God wants you to. You will struggle and keep your focus on yourself and all the shame and guilt closes your world off. You hide from people and, and from God and you, will, you won't participate in the expansion of God's kingdom. I pray for people all the time. I pray for lots of you when I call you forward. Most of us do not have the capacity yet to receive our belovedness from the Father. We struggle with our identities you really believed you aren't good enough. And you are. And as long as you keep on believing a lie, you will never fully live in a way that's open to God. Because you will, you will mishear his voice. And when you open yourself up, what you will hear with guilt and shame is try harder, do more, works. When you open yourself up to Abba, you will hear over and over again, I love you. Great job. Keep going. I'm with you. Father, forgive us, he says. In the next part, he says, as we forgive those who sin against us, the two primary issues that keep us from living in healthy relationships with other people, unforgiveness and resentment. Isn't this interesting? All of a sudden, the prayer the Lord's Prayer becomes a model for living, not just how to engage in requests. It becomes a model for living. All of a sudden, prayer empowers healthy relationships. If you are forgiven by God, then you are to extend that forgiveness to other people. How many of you are here and you're married and you still hold grudges from the last six years of your marriage? You can recall that moment of anger. You can just spout off what they did wrong. You collect injustices. Anyone here do that? We have an Evernote full of all the things. <laughs> okay, delete it. <laughs> but we hold unforgiveness and resentment and that bitterness, that rots our soul. It sours the essence of eternal life in, in our very existence. Resentment damages your relationships. You have a broken past and you carry that into present relationships. It keeps you from engaging and being open to what God has for you. Now, we must have, in order to have healthy relationships, compassionate boundaries. Healthy relationships require healthy boundaries. But notice what happens when you do collect pain, when you do experience broken relationship, when you do continue to harp and collect those things. What do we call those things when we enter into relationships? Baggage, yep, so we collect. What do we do with that baggage? We build walls. We, the language we use for healthy relationships rather than being vulnerable and authentic, the language we use is we guard ourselves against those people. We put walls up, barriers to keep us from feeling anything towards other people because of that pain and unforgiveness. Some of you, lots of you, let me just say this. Lots of you have a, a difficult time receiving your belovedness from the heavenly father. You have not received the father's love and that's a barrier for relationships, for other people. Do you know that? So your inability to receive love here empowers an inability to receive love here. And lots of you, 
have inabilities to receive and give love here because of unforgiveness and resentment, because of your past pain that you have yet to release. When you forgive someone, you're not releasing them from you, you're releasing yourself. You with me? The response today in just a little bit is gonna be some of you coming forward and extending forgiveness to those people. And some of you right now, there are people with names in your mind and hearts that you have to extend forgiveness towards. And it's hard work, you with me? So prayer then um, softens your hearts, will soften your heart and dismantle barriers and walls that are toxic to your soul that keep you from living open to God. Are you with me on this? So prayer, how do we live open to what God is doing? Um, Prayer uh, empowers healthy relationships. When we choose to live in a way that's open to what God is doing in the world here and now, we must learn to live with authenticity and vulnerability, um, not only to what God is doing with him, but also with other people. So a life of prayer empowers healthy relationships and right living. The last part of this Lord's Prayer, which I'll close with, is lead us not into temptation. Prayer re-energizes you to remain obedient and stay aligned with God's way of life. And the recognition, so when we engage in prayer, we're re-energized and we realign ourselves to God's vision of the world, not our vision of the world or the world's vision that we've received, right? So when we pray, lead us not into temptation, Jesus is saying staying open to God is aligning yourself to God's way, to his existence, the, the things he values, the kingdom, treasuring the kingdom. But when we, we don't spend time in prayer, how easily is it, how easy is it to fall and lean towards the ways of the world, to define ourselves by what we have, not who he says we are, to define ourselves by, by our success and our status, by our relationships rather than what God is up to in the world. So we begin to close ourselves off to God and open ourselves up to temptation, which is a way of destruction. And God's way is the way of life. So prayer is saying yes to God's good and beautiful way of existence. It's about intimacy with the Heavenly Father. Prayer uh, fundamentally is about your relationship. Prayer is about saying yes to God. Prayer is... um, is extending God's way of life on earth through your own life. Prayer is about participating in God's work here and now. Prayer requires brutal honesty, authenticity, and vulnerability. Prayer softens your heart. And a life of prayer will empower healthy relationships and right living. And prayer re-energizes you to remain obedient and stay aligned to God's very existence. This is prayer. And we learn to pray like Jesus when we approach prayer as a way of life. Are you with me? So next week, we'll end here kind of abruptly. There are some radical implications for this next week. Just want to highlight a couple. How do we ask for things then, if this is a way of existence? How do we, we re- make requests? How do we seek? Um, just a side note, does Jesus ever pray for healing in the scriptures? No, he doesn't ever pray. Isn't that interesting? Do the disciples ever pray for healing? No, he doesn't. In fact, he commands the church to heal the sick. Isn't that interesting? Does anyone else find that interesting? Because I'm the only one, 31 years old, doing church, uh, trying to figure out how do we model prayer ministry and pray, and Jesus actually never prayed for it. Okay. Quick learning curve. So we'll talk about types of prayer next week. 
We'll talk about becoming the kind of person that can ask for anything like, hey, mountain, move into the sea, and for that to become a reality. Um, but this begins with some primary and fundamental teachings about what prayer really is. It's more than just your requests. It's more than just petitions. Although it is that, it's also about a way of existence, being open to what God is doing. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org. Speak.